0: Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Have you ever taken the time to ask yourself, who helped me become the person I am today? Is it my family, my friends, a supportive teacher, an encouraging boss? Maybe it's a lover or an ex. On the cusp of her 50th birthday, writer and Gen X podcaster Nancy Davis Coe asked herself this exact question and set out to write 50 thank you letters to the people who shaped and influenced her over the years. What she didn't anticipate, how the process would inject more happiness and gratitude into her own life. Today, she joins me to talk about her book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time, which shares the story of her year of letter writing, dives into the science-backed benefits of gratitude, and offers a roadmap for a thank you project of your own. Plus, she gives us the skinny on her award-winning podcast, Midlife Mixtape. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm really excited. I first discovered you as a fan of your podcast, Midlife Mixtape, which is a fantastic series that celebrates midlife and all things Gen X and music. And we'll talk about podcasting and, and your show a little bit later. But right now, I want to dive into your book, The Thank You Project. Can you tell us what made you start this particular project?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. I was, as you say, uh, you know, coming into my fiftieth birthday year. It was the end of twenty fifteen, so hats off to the nineteen sixty six babies. <laughs> and uh, I was feeling very reflective because I just felt like things were going so well for me. I had my parents were around. My husband and I had been married for I think twenty four years. At that point, we have two girls, and they were doing fine. And I think by the time you are getting into your fifties. You know that you can't take that for granted. You've either experienced hard times, you've watched your friends suffer loss or you know go through challenges enough times to know that the good stuff isn't is a little bit um is a little bit uh, transitory. It's a little bit you know you can't take it for granted. So I just thought i am going to acknowledge this this year. I'm going to write one letter every week to someone who has helped shaped or inspired me. And I was turning fifty, so fifty seemed like the right number of letters to read. And I'm a planner, so I thought, okay, that that's great. I can do one a week during the calendar year, and I still get two weeks off for vacation. And uh, nice. <laughs> so I and I thought, well, you know, and I wasn't exactly sure who all I was going to write. I knew. Obviously, I was going to do my family, my close friends. So I made a quick list right before the new year. I made a quick list of about, I guess, 20 names. And I thought, I'll just start on these. And by the time I get to the 20th name, I'll I'll figure that out. That's not until June. That's a problem for future me. Who else i am going to write to? Because I don't even know if I know 40, 50 people. And I started, the first two letters were to my mom and dad. And the, the book starts with the, the story that my dad, uh, my mom's got dementia and dad was her caregiver. And uh, my dad is so cute. He called me up and he's like, oh, Nance, I love the letter. It's so great. And he framed it and he hung it over his desk in his office, which was adorable. Very on brand for my father. And, you know, six months later, I was sitting and looking at that framed letter because I was sitting at my dad's desk writing his eulogy. Uh, He got uh, diagnosed with cancer in June. And six weeks later, we were at his funeral. And it was, none of us knew he had it. It was mercifully short his, his exit. And, uh, during a very traumatic, what could have been a really traumatic and painful time and was certainly painful. Uh, it was a tremendous comfort to me that I had taken the time to write down for my dad, why he mattered to me, why I loved him so much, why I was so grateful to him. And he had time to absorb it before he, before he died. And so it just, uh, that's just kind of, one example of the benefit that came to me as the writer of these thank you letters that I didn't anticipate. And so it turned out I did not finish my letters in one year because after dad died, I was knocked off kilter for a few months. Took me until the night before my 51st birthday, actually, to write the last letter. But the uh, what I didn't under, uh, what I didn't anticipate was how much writing these letters would change the way I looked at the world around me, and so the book is not a, a, a compilation of my letters because who cares who I wrote to? It is a roadmap for readers to do this themselves. It, there are samples of some of my letters to, to kind of get you started, uh, It inc- but I wanted to look at the science behind it. I wanted to understand why did I feel so much better? Why was the practice of writing thank you letters such a comfort to me during such a difficult year? And it turns out there's a ton of research on how gratitude and happiness uh, work together in your brain. And I really wanted to give readers a, a jumpstart so they could do this for themselves. A lot of the book is just uh, just my thoughts about here's the kinds of people to whom you might want to write. So that's the way it's organized, is that there are kind of suggestions of different groups of people that you might want to write to. And my hope is that it's enough of a starting point for readers to to, uh, to think about how this it gets reflected in their own lives.
0: There are so many wonderful prompts in the book that, that do help you do that reflecting and that do help you uh, sort of jog your thinking and your memories. You said that you started with a list of 20, but then you needed to get 30 more. How, how did you find those other 30?
1: Well, the cool thing about writing a thank you letter, and I'm going to pull in the science where, where I can to help explain this, when you make a deliberate expression of gratitude and whether that is writing something in a gratitude journal or just thinking three good things in your life to yourself you know that taking that pause and thinking what are three things that i'm grateful for right now or writing a gratitude letter you are you are actually enhancing what's called positive recall bias so everyone's born with both negative and positive recall bias and the negative recall bias serves a purpose it's the the thing that initiates our fight or flight mechanism it gets you out of the way when the cars speeding down the sidewalk uh, or when you're going out in public and you are debating whether or not to wear a mask. Uh, A little bit of personal, you know, just
0: (laughs) got to get that in there. Wear Um, a damn mask. We're we're hashtag wear a damn mask. Right.
1: But, But the problem is when you're stuck in negative recall bias. And certainly in 2020, that's an easy place to get stuck. There's so much negativity around us. What positive recall bias does is tamp down that negative recall bias and it replaces it with an ability to look for the things that are still good around you, which believe it or not, there are those things still in 2020. So every time you have a deliberate expression of gratitude, you're strengthening the neural pathways that will tend you towards positive recall bias. So unknowing, you know, completely unknowingly, every time I sat down to write a letter, I was getting a little bit more efficient at finding things to be grateful for. So I, as I say, I started with the people to whom I'm really just so genuinely grateful, people I love, people I'm close with, And by the time I'd gotten to that end of the the first easy list of people, my positive recall bias was stronger. And I could say, well, if I'm talking about people who have helped and inspired me, I've got to include the doctor who delivered my two kids. Because what would my life look like if she hadn't been so good at her job? I had you know, I had normal, you know, fairly straightforward births, but you still want somebody who knows her job at the other end of your legs when that's happening. So, you know, I <laughs> yes, wanted you to acknowledge, <laughs> you do. And I wanted to acknowledge that she, had played that role for me, so I wrote a letter to my OB, and I was thinking about um, you know my hairdresser because my hair. Oh my gosh! Yes, my yes, hair, and yes. now I know I understand that more now after eight months of not being able to see her. I did finally get in two weeks ago. I live in the Bay Area, so everything's been shut down since March, but you know, the people who make you feel good about yourself, maybe they get a thank you letter. So it started to get really fun. Because first of all, I was able to broaden my view of uh, who has helped and shaped and inspired me. And then I also got to the point where I realized that each time I sat down and wrote one of these letters, I experienced a host of psychological and physiological benefits. And I'm talking about you know, just feeling my breath settle, feeling a sense of calm come over me. And this is all completely quantified in the science, you know, people who have made a deliberate expression of gratitude, have lower uh, blood pressure, they sleep better, you actually have improved asthma control. And you experience you can experience this sensation, they call it elevation, where your chest cavity just sort of fills with this sense of warmth. And I got that every time i wrote one of these letters i my my practice was to do these on friday afternoons i would do it at the end of my work day and kind of make this the the way that i coasted into the weekend and i would just feel this sense of like ah, okay no matter what went on this week i'm okay because i have this friend lisa in my life my high school best friend and i've just made a list or you know i've just documented all the different ways that she's made my life better i'm okay so um i but Uh, And all those good feelings came in writing the letter, not in the recipient's response. And we can talk about how great that was, too, and why I think it's important to actually send most of your letters. But when I realized that I was getting those benefits by writing them, I thought, okay, so I could write them, but not send them. And that means that we can think about who has helped, shaped, and inspired us through negative example, or who are those people Who's, who have done that for us that we're not in touch with, the exes, the yes. uh, terrible bosses, the former friends. So
0: are those the letters that you didn't send? Because I know you make uh, reference to that, like not every letter that you wrote got mailed. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Right, so there was a, so I wrote, for instance, I talk about this in the book. Uh, my first job after college was in Germany. I spoke German and I you know moved over there and lived for a couple of years and worked. And I had a really terrific boyfriend, things didn't work out. But you know, he the during the time I was there, he would always answer my questions about why in Germany, do you go to the post office to pay your bills? That does not make sense to me. And he'd be like, sit down, American girl, let me explain. (laughs) Let me explain things to you. And he just was really, uh, I mean, I knew nobody in that country when I moved there. And he was just my he was my rock while I was there because I I didn't know anything about being and living in Germany, you know, being German, living in Germany. And so he, we kind of stay in touch via Christmas cards, but it's not, you know, I don't want to send a letter to him. He, it's not respectful to my husband or his wife, but I did want to acknowledge that during the time we were together, I was, I really benefited a lot from knowing him. And so that was one of my favorite letters to write. He never, I didn't mail it. He knows that there's a letter. I actually did reach out to let him know that 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 happened and the funny thing was i you know when this book was going to print i thought i better let the few people know who are going to if they read this book they can tell that that i said i wrote a letter to them and didn't send it and this guy was like oh that's awesome i'm going to be in the us for work starting tomorrow i'll call you and i'm like no that was not why i called to let you know this but he never did um so yeah and i think it's a really healthy way to look back at some of the people and experiences in your life that may have felt negative at the time, or didn't sort of fi- get finalized the way you would hope they would, and reframe them, and get some perspective, and look at what was positive out of what you might have considered a negative scenario. And so, if you don't have to write the letters, you know, you can be really uh, open-minded about who has helped shaped and inspired you, and then. Once I had that batch of letters done, I think there, you know, it was like the light bulbs kept going off. I thought, oh, well, I've been inspired and shaped by the cities I've lived in. I wrote a letter to the city of Munich, where I lived, and I wrote a letter to Oakland, California, where I live now. And I've been inspired by my number one hobby, which is going to see live music. You can tell with the podcast called Midlife Mixtape that I'm kind of into music. And so I wrote a letter to the live music industry, and there is no Address to which I can send that, and also, <laughs> I could not send my letter to Jane Austen because she's dead, but I really love her books, and I reread them often. So it it just got to be fun. I mean, I really, every time I was sitting down to write a letter, I was really looking forward to writing down what I had been thinking about all week, you know, all the little specifics and stories and and you know, all the ways that I could think about how I had been changed as a person because, I knew this. Per- I, I knew this other person, or I engaged in this hobby, or I lived in this place, and and even just doing that thinking, it's already enhancing your positive recall bias. And what this what the scientists say is the neurons that fire together wire together. So you can kind of think of gratitude like a muscle, and it just gets stronger and stronger even as you think through these categories. So that's why I organized the book I, the way I did. I. I I know not everybody's a writer, I know everyone may not sit down to write letters, but even if you just read the chapter about who, you know, here are the kinds of people in a school setting who might have inspired you, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, I'm hoping the reader sits back and thinks, oh yeah, Coach Smith, you know, he was great, or, you know, Mrs. Johnson, she was really awesome, and, and just in that way, they're already doing the, the heavy lifting of that positive recall bias enhancement.
0: It's a testament really to paying attention as well and being observant of your own life, because when when you start to look for something, you tend to find it. So if you're looking for opportunities to be grateful, if you're looking to, you know, recover and surface people in your life, um, you, you can be grateful to your barista, you know, who like greets you every day with a smile. So you can, you really can, can, can see that. You start one of your chapters with a quote from Eckhart Tall that says, you know, acknowledging the good you have in your life is the foundation for abundance, right? When you, when you start, to look and see things that improve and, and benefit your life, it's, it's easier to keep running with that. So how would you recommend for one of our listeners, you know, besides buying the book, to get started? How do they? What are the questions they need to be asking to start to trigger these memories and make them more observant about where they're having you know, these sort of significant uh, experiences in their own life? I broke
1: it down in the book into three steps. So see, say, and savor. And C is the first part, and that's really doing exactly what you're what you're talking about. Look around you and see who the people are that are making your life better. And absolutely, it can be the barista, the barista who knows your order and greets you every morning and you know compliments your shoes or whatever it is that that they bring into your life. And my you know, I I always think of the uh, the clerk. We have a little corner grocery here in my neighborhood in Oakland, and he's delightful, and he too likes live music. And every time I go in there, we are discussing what did you download recently? Have you heard this? And it's just nice. Who else is going to talk to me about, me? you know, music while I'm down there buying salad greens? So, um, you know, and it's about the specifics. This is one of the things I really try to emphasize is it's fine when you, if you want to tell somebody, you know, you're so nice to me, but what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like for that person? And so some of the writing prompts I include in the book is, you know, how are you different because your path crossed their path? What have they taught you? What is the time that they inspired you? Um, And then, you know, if, if you had a phone a friend and one problem, what's the problem you would call this person for? What would be the thing that you would rely on their help for? Because I think that starts to narrow it down into the specifics. So just, and just think about it. So one of the points I try to make in the book, you know, for me, 50 letters, one a week, was the way to go. But there are so... You get to do whatever you want. There are no thank you note police. So I included an example of a woman who wrote 100 thank you letters in 100 days, which absolutely makes me break out in a cold sweat. I could not have done that. But for some heavy people, left. that might feel right. And then uh, I included Kathy Valentine I, I I don't always say who this who this person was because I'm not sure on every show they knew her but Kathy Valentine was the basis for the Go-Go's yes, you guys I know heels. this audience knows who Kathy Valentine of is Of course uh, And by the way, I'm just going to make a plug here. She wrote a really good memoir this year called All I Ever Wanted. If you have not, if you're a fan of the Go-Go's, make sure to check out Kathy's book. But for Kathy's 50th birthday um, party, she wrote a letter to the 50 guests she had invited. So that was the favor on everybody's plate when they came. And that, you know, took her a series of, I'm not sure how long it took her to write those letters actually. But the point is that You can do this at whatever pace you want. And actually, there's some science that says that writing a gratitude letter will give you measurably higher happiness levels for a full month after writing it. So you really don't have to rush through it. And I don't know about you. I don't need more things on my to-do list during the pandemic. So I just tried to take away any pressure that a reader might feel to think, oh, I have to do it in a certain way. But for me, you know, just the, the time you spend thinking about those specifics and seeing those specific uh, uh, traits or characteristics of the person you're going to write to really is, is it's kind of a meditation in and of itself. So that, that's step one. Step two is say, and that's just about writing it down. And, I know that some people are going to read the book or think about this and not want to write the letters and that's totally fine. I think there's so much value in a print letter though. I really, especially now, and I, I did not mean to write a book that would pop against the background of a pandemic, but, uh, I certainly wish I, you know, certainly wish 2020 looked different, but you know, the idea of sending a physical letter to somebody that, that they can open and is full of those specific reasons why they have made a difference, why they're awesome, why they're valued. How valuable is that
0: so in 2020? Special. It's so special. So th- yeah. we, we, we need to be reminded of uh, the, the the people that are making a difference in our lives. And I think that there's been so much talk of the essential workers, the healthcare workers, and just like more attention paid to the fact that we are, you know, grateful the people who stock our grocery stores, you know, that are right. that are bringing us toilet paper. There is no shortages of ways to feel appreciative and, and to express gratitude. If you were writing a pandemic thank you letter, who would be on it? Who's made a difference for you during this time?
1: Oh, such a good question.
0: Uh, I think,
1: honestly, I think the people who have made a difference to me during this time got letters from me in the first batch because I wrote to, uh, so I'm from New York. My whole family's uh, back on the East Coast. So in Oakland, it's my girlfriends. It's my posse of, you know, of local friends who show up and, you know, we yell across the lawn to each other for half an hour and catch up and, um, you know, Somebody will. In the early days, people were dropping toilet paper off for each other, and uh, you know, scrambling through the madness together. All of us have college-age kids who, uh, who you know, are in various states of disarray as their school years are upended. And just this community of mom friends that I have, who are keeping me sane right now. They would absolutely be at the top of the list, but I already wrote to them. I'm not, I'm not writing them a second letter, not yet.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I, um, I so agree with you about the girlfriends. I have separate text threads going on with like my friends from my town and, and all the girlfriends that I grew up with. I, I joke that like they're the people that remember my first set of eyebrows, you know. And we have been on this like <laughs> thread talking about it. They were the ones that like during you know April when I was like raged, like I had a huge fight with my husband about baking powder. I mean, it was like World War baking powder, and that's I was very on. Brand for twenty twenty. Totally. That's like just to have the weirdest fight about shit. The, the weirdest stupidish. fight. It was a screaming fight about baking powder. <laughs> the kids like retreated to the corners. I got into bed at like five thirty at night with wine and like rage texted my girlfriends. Like I would not have made it through this <laughs> moment. And every time I hear baking powder, it like sends like a shiver down my spine. So you know, we're do-
1: fighting words.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, uh, I, you know, it's funny because I just remembered as you were saying that. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have all experienced this, but uh, as this pandemic has gone on, I've heard from friends who have just, you know, I have a friend who lives in Europe, and uh, she was, she and I were very close in college, and she's still just a delight in my life. I just don't talk to her enough, and she and I now do FaceTime calls. We do, we've been doing a bunch of Zoom calls. So talk about silver linings in the pandemic. I feel like I've got a few friends like that, where all of a sudden we're back in more regular conversation. And thanks to the miracle of video chat, that's what we do. And I've written to a couple of those friends who, you know, one of the, so I finished my 50 letters and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done with this project, putting it away. That's what I'm set out to do. And I certainly was not planning to write a book about it and, um, about, six months after that, I was at somebody else's 50th birthday party. And one of the guests said, Oh, hey, I heard you did this thing when you turned 50. You know, who'd you write to? What did you write? How did you decide? And I was like, I don't know, I think it's pretty straightforward. I answered all our questions for half an hour. But the next time, you know, it happened a second time. And by the time a third person asked me, I was like, Well, maybe I could just write this down into a book. And then people would have a way to do this without the learning curve. So in writing the book, I was like, wait, why did I stop at 50? I've just identified, I've just verified all the things that I knew were beneficial that I experienced in writing 50. Why on earth did I stop? So I started a second batch after I turned in the manuscript to my publisher. I started a second batch of letters. So I don't do them as regularly, but that's who I'm writing to right now is all these college friends who are suddenly, you know, Skyping me from Belgium or wherever (laughs) so awesome you know? it's
0: i i completely agree it's been a wonderful way of sort of reconnecting with people it is the pandemic you know silver lining that i have actively prioritized um reconnecting with the people that make a difference in my life and i have found that i have since the pandemic really you know went into full swing 6 months ago i have felt more connected to even new people that i've been meeting sort of virtually new new clients or or, or prospective mm-hmm. clients that i get on the phone with i feel there's just uh, people are more willing to be open. They want to check in on you. They want to see how you're doing. I feel that there's we're, we're all human and we're struggling through this time together. I like what you said before about reframing and how um, you can even reframe negative experiences uh, in a way that help you learn that you that you, grow, that you grow. And I had a I had a very tough boss. Uh, one of my first jobs out of college on Capitol Hill he used to, you know, yell and shout frequently. I, you know, would leave in tears and I, I, I think about him often and how I don't want to show up as that person. And I have never thought about it the way that you shared, that you can be shaped by people in ways that, um, you know, offer negative experiences as well. And it can be very satisfying to
1: write a letter to that kind of person. That you know, there's the sense of you you tried to make it bad for me, and I rose above it. And this is how I turned it. This is how I spun it into gold.
0: Maybe every and, listener should be writing a letter to the pandemic. You know, because they're yeah. you know, like to you know to to COVID and saying that's hey, a really good idea. You know, he, here's how I am. Like you know, t- because it also gives you that sort of power. I mean, one of the reasons why people feel stress often or anxiety is because of powerlessness. You feel that then are beyond your control and things are happening to you. But if you can, you know, more like so much of your book is about intention, you know, like setting the intention to express gratitude, setting the intention to be observant about the things you should be grateful for. And if we can bring some more intention to the way we are interacting with this moment in time, because I, I've had a lot of sleepless nights. I feel very anxious around um, this, this period of time. So that's something I'm going to consider taking on for myself.
1: Well, and one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about doing this at midlife is the way that, uh, especially for women who are empty nesters or going to be empty nesters, a lot of times it's hard to know what comes next. And believe me, I I wish I had known this earlier. So I do, you know, I do try to get this message out to the 30 year olds. But I think for those of us who are a certain age, um, there's real value in cataloging who you are, who you know, what you've learned, because it can help you figure out what's coming next. You know, even if it weren't a pandemic right now, it can feel a little disconcerting when the kids leave, when you are, you know, past the mid-century mark and trying to figure out what your legacy is going to be. One of the things that I think can come out of this is you remind yourself, oh yeah, I know this. I know, I've, I've, got wisdom. And I have the ability and resilience to take negative experience and turn it into a positive. And it's, it's about empowering you and kind of giving yourself that, that boost and that recognition. And in fact, I'll, you know, give away the end of the book, the last letter I recommend you write is to yourself. Because by the time you've gone through all these people, places and pastimes in your life, you know, you better recognize that you've done a really good job of curating people to be around you you've done a good job of creating a team of support for yourself and nobody else this is one of the things i think is so cool about this no one else has that same group of letters no one else besides you will be writing to the exact same people places or pastimes and how cool is that i mean it's a mosaic of you and so i do think that this can be used as a way to reclaim your power recognize who you are And that's a great basis for figuring out what the next step is going to be if you're an an empty nest or if you're not a parent, too. You know, if you are just trying to figure out what your legacy is going to be, because I think that's something we all think about in our 50s.
0: We absolutely do. So this was a 50th birthday project. How, How old are you now, Nancy? Uh, twenty six. Um, <laughs> but you, but you look twenty five. Are you sure? Well, that's that's the airbrushing.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I'm fifty four. Okay. So I and and I took my own advice. I that's how I based that's how I based that step. I you know printed out my letters at the end, so that would have been April twenty seventeen when I printed out all these letters. Had them bound at a local copy shop, and I look at those letters still all the time. I keep it at the top of my nightstand, and if I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm feeling stressed, I'm you know I've absorbed the news of the day because it's 2020. It's never good, uh, you know. I'll just flip through and read a couple of the letters and remind myself, oh right, this person did these things for me, and I'm okay. I've been, I've faced hard things before. I will again, but somebody will be there for me. And, you know, that's, it's a very, it's a good way to go to bed at
0: night. It's such a beautiful touchstone, you know, that, to have that physical uh, product next to you and this reminder that you have, you know, a life that's so rich with people. I, right, I, and that's,
1: I just have to say, that is the third step in the say the see, say, and saver. The saver is, as much as I say throughout the book, do what you want. Step three, no, you have to do what I say. You have to keep a copy <laughs> of every letter you write and that's what that's what the product is for me. That's what this book is. It's a, it, I just to be clear, I did not handwrite my letters. I think it's great if you can. No one would have been able to. Oh my God! Make out anything that I'd written. So I typed mine. I did handwrite my signature. So there's that. I have the but, handwriting uh, of a serial killer. There's yeah. I. There's no way anyone could I read don't it. Don't any of us do long handwriting anymore. But uh, but the but keeping a copy for yourself is really really important. And that's that's what I'm talking about. This this bound book is the thing that you can create for yourself.
0: I love that um, you also say that this doesn't have to just be about 50th. So it's it's a special way to acknowledge that sort of milestone birthday. But in your book, you make the suggestion, you know, if you've been 10 months sober, maybe send 10 letters to the people who helped you on that journey. You know, um, whatever your personal, um, you know, celebration is or whatever you want to acknowledge, there's lots of different ways of doing it. And your book gives a bit of a blueprint, but you can modify it and make it your own.
1: Well, I am, believe me, when the book came out and you look on the back and you get your ISBN number and you see how it's been categorized. And I was, and I looked at mine and I thought, self help? That's crazy. Who am I going to, I cracked up. I was like, who am I to give anybody help? So I just really tried to make sure this book is invitational and inclusive for the reader to put their spin on it. Because honestly, I'm the the least qualified person to write a self help book. But I do all I'm trying to do is make it easy for you to, you know, do what I did in your own way. So um, yeah, Yeah, I don't want anybody. Nobody needs another thing on their to do list during the pandemic. But we all need a way to feel a little bit better every day.
0: Uh, it's it's really a blueprint, and I, I since January actually I started a little bit. It's it's not quite the same thing, but I committed to having um, before I get out of bed, before I let my feet touch the floor. I say three things that I'm grateful for and it's really helped frame it, it got me through the pandemic just sort of reminding myself each day that there are reasons to get out of bed you know my healthy kids or you know uh in the rainstorm the uh the ro- you know the roof has finally stopped leaking we had like a leaky roof around the skylights Um, Fun, small stuff, you know, so it's like, really like, oh, that's fun. Like in 3am, like the ping, ping, ping of water on the (laughs) desk, you know, and now that it's not happening anymore. I am grateful. But if I didn't remind myself, you, you know, you forget, we're very busy. Our brain, you talk about the brain science. Our brain is trained, I think, to really retain the negative. Right. We remember, we remember the, the slight, the insult, the the time we kind of like garbled our words. so vividly, and we forget sometimes the things that are going well. so to have that physical touchstone is is uh, so important um, and it's and it
1: really is simple science.
0: I mean, I do the exactly the
1: same thing when I'm going to bed at night and it doesn't have to I live in California, so oftentimes now the thing I'm grateful for is I could see the blue sky because we don't take that for granted right now we're we're in a smoke day today we can't go outside so it does not have to be big but Just doing that is strengthening those neural pathways that will, you know, take you off the exit to positive recall bias instead of negative recall bias.
0: This is the book that everyone needs in 2020. Between COVID, you know, wildfires, hurricanes, our politics, you know, we, this is the book that people need to sort of reset their gratitude. So I am going to link it in the show notes. I would encourage anyone to pick it up, even if you simply do that that first step of like listing in your own mind the people you're grateful for, as you shared. That can make an enormous difference. I want to take a minute and switch gears and talk about Midlife Mixtape before we, we run out of time. This is such a fabulous show for anyone who loves podcasts. It's midlife meets music meets Gen X. Um, I love how you call it a show for, quote, the years between being hip and breaking a hip. Tell us how you got started on this, because it's really it's two platforms, right? It's your um, like a digital media property, and it's also a podcast. Tell us more.
1: Yes, back in the in the Stone Age of blogging, 2011, it was a blog, midlife mixtape, and yeah, for the years between being hip and breaking one, I figured if people don't laugh at that line, then there's nothing for them that I create on a. They're helpless. Nothing I write or produce would ever be funny to them. Uh, and, And then in 20, so I do occasionally still write on the blog, but then in 2017. Um I had an essay published on a site called Tonight, um which many your listeners sure, may know because that's also yeah, it's the Gen X great Gen X storytelling platform, uh, about the fact that I thought the Gen Xers would be re- really good at midlife because if happiness is the difference between expectation and reality, we have very low expectations. We, w- we were raised to have low expectations. So I thought, well, it's not going to be so, you know, midlife stinks, whatever. So did everything else. So I just start, and this essay really struck a nerve with readers. And I thought, oh, you know, and people said, I want to hear more stories like this. So I started the show just to invite people on to talk about what they like about being at Midlife, because I was not experiencing it as complete disaster. Of course, there are hard times, and I, you know, losing my dad was the worst of them for me so far, but... Um, You know, there are also things that are really freeing about being at Midlife. That's what your whole show is about. There are things that are really good about it. So I have people on from all walks to talk about what they like about it, what they think they're more efficient at, what they, you know, what they're better at now that they couldn't have done in their 20s and 30s, and I've had everybody from, um, I, I do have performers, so I've had Kathy Valentine's been on the show, Frank Oral from Poeta Pondering, um, Teddy Thompson, but I talk to everybody, and I've been so honored to have people like um, Outdoor Afro founder Rue Map, um, uh, Fader Maui, who's a affordable housing activist, because I just think Gen X is interesting and, and capable of so much, and do Doing such interesting things. And it's every other week. And I just uh, the every interview starts with what was your first concert? And what were the circumstances? Because I believe that's an important fact to know about people that to me is critical. And then the last question is, what would you go back and tell your younger self? And it's so reassuring, I think, to hear what people say. And it's always along the lines of, you know, don't, don't stress, get started, try, you know, don't worry about perfectionism. Don't worry about what other people think and everything's going to be okay. And we, we did an episode recently where we asked, uh, where I compiled all that advice, advice, advice to younger selves. We've had, we've actually had listeners send in advice to younger selves too. We, we sometimes do listener contributed essays. And one of the questions that someone posed was, what do you think that future you would come back and tell a pandemic you and i just love that question because it, it's it's worth pondering like what is the thing that someone in the that you in the future would come back and it's probably along the lines of keep going it's going to be okay.
0: You know, right. keep if going. If you're going and through so, hell, keep going. Right, you know? right. So I would also I just say you need less stuff. I feel like, you know, I would tell, you know, me right now, you need less crap. You know, you have mm. a house full of, you know, things you don't need and, and it's, Ridiculous, because at the end of the day, all you wanted was toilet paper and healthy kids, you know. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and it really like I, I didn't wear shoes, you know. I, I was in a pair of slippers for six months. It's like you don't need all the crap that uh, the modern American consumer market is trying to. You know, sell you. It's all sort of a waste on you. Yeah, on you. Yep. But you know, I what I listened to your show and I love it, and even though I'm interviewing you, I like was starting to feel anxiety last night. Like, what if Nancy asked me my first concert? Because, I, like, literally the first concert that I went to, I could not remember the musical act. All I remembered about this is I was 16 years old and they were giving out menthol cigarettes, and my friends and I were like, "Oh my god, they're giving out free cigarettes!" You know, and we were like smoking like something that tasted like toothpaste at the <laughs> Pure New York, and like that is my most vivid memory. So I texted my girlfriends and I said, What was the concert? but you know, was it Adam Ant? Was it like big country? When I knew, and then it, we wound up, it was the alarm. Anyhow, uh, oh, I felt like I, need, I needed to share this with you, but like this, th- this is how old I am that w- I literally went to a concert when they were passing like teenagers out menthol cigarettes for free as an advertising. So it, this is why
1: I'm telling you it is the greatest <laughs>
0: icebreaker because people have hilarious. I mean, That's
1: ridiculous. It I am very ridiculous. impressed. By the way, the no alarm, longer though.
0: smoke. And I, d- I definitely, you know, <laughs> definitely don't smoke men- menthol cigarettes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I were to smoke. Exactly. I'm not that loyal to them. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's, I bet that was a good show. Yeah. Even though you didn't remember it. See, that's, I mean, you know, it's funny because a lot of times guests will say, well, here was my first show, but that one was the one my parents dragged me to. The one I want to talk about is the one I bought the ticket myself sure, because right. people think they're going to be branded if their first show was, you know, Helen Reddy or something. But, oh, may, he, um, may she rest. Rip, rip, rip I guess Helen she was at top of mind because I just I just of was course. reading her a little bit. Rip
0: Helen Reddy. Bless I bless you. Know, you. I would say, I guess, maybe the U2 "Unforgettable Fire" tour. Like I remember that more clearly than no, no cigarettes at all. So, what would be on your pandemic? Before we like start to wrap up, what's your pandemic playlist? I know that you're a music, you know, aficionado. What's been getting you through these 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 dark days?
1: Oh, wow. Well, so I have a 22 year old and a 19 year old who are home unexpectedly. I have uh, UCLA North going on in a guest bedroom as my rise as my (laughs) sophomore daughter starts her second year and my college graduate who got a job in the Thank you. Thank you, lady. Girl Mechanical Engineers for the win. Yes. Uh, I I have been listening to a lot of their music because they're home, and I don't even know what I'm listening to most of the time. I just tell them to play it for me because I think that's, you know. Um, But what I recently downloaded and have been, uh, I love love the old 97s. Rhett Miller and the old 97s uh, are great. They're very high energy, and I was actually, they're an alt-country band. They had a new, album come out this summer and I was back east I was lucky enough to be able to go back east for three weeks and visit with my mom who we moved out of the memory care unit in New York when the first COVID case hit she moved in with my older sister and uh, out in the Finger Lakes region and I spent three weeks there trying to give my sister a bit of a break and my mom loves country music and she's hanging in it. 86 still has the dementia but has not forgotten her love of country music so we just drove around the beautiful finger Lakes listening to the old 97s new album and uh, that was delightful so I've been playing that a lot
0: I love that I I, I, I will check that out and link that in the show notes I, think I wish I
1: could remember the name of it I'm blanking on that but it's early on the west coast for any I know, of you no so I blogging. know one more early cup, early.
0: one more cup of coffee and you'd have it I, I think it's so this but, is the time we want nostalgia I mean I find myself putting on Music that, you know, for all of my like early reggae stuff, things that just, you know, Toots in the Maytals, Pomp and Pride, things that just make me feel good. uh, Because, you know, it's like comfort food. We want comfort music. So I'm, I'm like dragging out the greatest hits from, from, Back when life felt very carefree before kids, yeah, I've been I've been know. playing
1: a lot of Split Ends. That's mm-hmm. that was my number one. You know, that was my first. The the prior to Crowded House, it was Split Ends, and I've been pulling out my old vinyl and playing Split Ends. So I I, I hear you.
0: Nice, well, Nancy. You've shared so many like wonderful tips. I, I encourage every reader to pick up this book. Think about taking this project on for yourself. It is what you need to feel gratitude, sort of ground yourself during a, like a time that is is truly, truly challenging. Uh, before we wrap, is there another product or resource or a, a tip you want our, our listeners to, to know about?
1: Well, I know you guys are all gonna expect me to recommend some kind of fancy pen or a stationery or something like that, but I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna be honest with you, the thing that I wanna recommend to you is Kaftans because I discovered the Kaftan, um, in June, I found a company called Pax Philomena, and they make these beautiful cotton caftans. And I'm I'm living my best Joanne Worley life. If you used to watch Hollywood Squares, that lady
0: in the caftan, that's oh my me. God. That's me I'm all summer. I'm thinking three, three is company. I'm picturing a caftan on Mrs. Roper. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: That's exactly the captain. That, picture that because that's what it is. And I live in California. We're blessed with nice weather when it's not fire season. And that's what I do. I wear caftans now for you t- talk about not wearing shoes. I would like, I don't even need clothes anymore. I just need to find a fleece caftan for the winter and I'm going to be all set.
0: Oh my God. Caftans. All right. Take that zoom top. We're moving on to caftans. <laughs> I love it. All right. We're, we're definitely sharing that with our listeners. So how can they keep following you and learn more about Midlife Mixtape and the Thank You Project?
1: Well, the best place to go is my website, davisco.com. So that's D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O dot com. And from there, you can find information about the book and the podcast and the blog. And the podcast is on all podcast platforms. So you can find it anywhere you listen to shows like A Certain Age.
0: Thank you so much, Nancy. I, lo- I love that plug. A fellow midlife podcaster. There's some
1: great shows out there. We're still, so, you know, we're, we are a small but mighty podcasting community of the over 50 lady podcasters.
0: Absolutely. I also love Everything is Fine. Although, and I'm not sure if they're over 50, but they're, they, they've got a great show as well. So I'm going to, yeah. Up-
1: Kim's been, Kim France has been on my show. That's a, that's a really well done show too. I love that one.
0: Yeah. I love it. It's I like, when I listen to it, I get jealous. I'm like, a co host. That would be so fun. <laughs> Now you're
1: doing you are great. This is great. And i I know this is gonna uh, find its audience and be a huge success because there are not that many stories being shared about Gen X women. And we I don't I'm sure you've read Ada Calhoun's book about why we can't sleep Gen X women at midlife. There's a reason why we need to keep sharing these stories with one another. Our generation has a much different take on midlife than the one before us. And it's important to share these stories and and, and connect with one another. So I'm so glad you're doing this.
0: Thank you so much, Nancy. I could not agree more that we need to stick together. So thank you for joining me today. It was a total blast to be with you. Thank you. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Thanks for listening. Please help us grow by heading to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And visit us at acertainagepod.com for show notes and bonus content. Special thanks to Michael Mancini Productions, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.